So I think there are tons of repercussions of poor leadership um, simply because it'll manifest itself in some way, whether it's within the institution that you work in or it's within your own person. And for me, it was both. Been born in a family of entrepreneurs, always been in managing and... I've been in the financial services industry my entire life. So I've been in everything from retail to finance to now I'm in the outdoor industry. In the last 19 years, I've had my own uh, business management accounting firm. And now I'm in finance. <laughs> My entire career, my entire professional career has been in marketing. I started as a defense attorney. Currently, I'm an inclusion, belonging, and diversity strategist, as well as worked as a security guard. Oh, no, it's okay. Everybody has that reaction when they find out I worked campus security. When you have a leader that, that is not willing to help their team um, get there, that's not willing to be a sounding board, who's not available um, and, and willing to be a resource, um, it, it results in chaos. Things that I've seen is uh, a lot of uh, uh, disgruntled employees. Uh, a lot of times it, it can come through as uh, micromanaging. It, it can come through as uh, just uh, not, there's no trust the gossip, uh, it just really creates an unhealthy environment. Uh, a lot of employee turnover. Being in a dictatorial couple with micromanagement, it leads, it leaves people to be afraid, to be paranoid, and to, instead of loving something, to be resentful of their jobs. I would say that the, that those people, those that person was more of a manager. I, w I wouldn't say leader. I think it, it was more of the micromanaging kind of um, environment, and that that quickly led to a very toxic environment. And people weren't trusting each other. People were always wondering if there was some sort of hidden message in an email or a change that happened with strategy and it just it it brought about a very negative environment and a lot of that I felt personally came down to just trust. Trust is eroded when we're unable to submit to one another. When trust is eroded and we can't create belonging and we know that these are core needs that people have to belong and connect. We don't bring our best work because we're looking over our shoulder. Competition replaces collaboration. You know, it just leads to a horrible culture. Uh, it's just not a fun place to, to be involved with. Uh, there's no passion, uh, there's no trust, there's no loyalty. People just show up to do a job. When a, a leader's out for themselves and doesn't seem to really care about the team, that's pretty evident quickly. Uh, people can pick up on it. You know, you can, you can just tell by actions and things that people say if they're either for the team or they're for themselves. And so it can be challenging, but it can also be overcome. Well, those are pretty powerful uh, insights. Not the most cheery. However, but, uh, but maybe poignant for many of us. How many of you would just say, yeah, I've lived in that experience. I have lived in a culture. I have worked under a person. I, I think I'm seeing 
the majority of the room with, with hands, right? Yeah. And, and we just, we, we go, whether, what, whatever the industry, whether it's education, science, research, uh, the industrial, whether it's a stay-at-home job or your job is to pour into your kids, we just know that sometimes, man, leadership, being a boss, being an employee, gets really, really wonky. And we all have our stories, don't we? We all have those moments where we feel like we're living in a love math formula. Um, I'm going to do this one backwards, that uh, particularly within the marketplace, but this could be in many different environments. The goal of a company is to do what? The goal is to what? Anybody want to say it? Make money. That's right. That's right. The goal is to make money. And so there are these things called employees, right? Many of us are that. Many of us are both, like James said, we're employees, we're, but we're also leaders. Maybe it's middle management or, or whatever. And the employees are to kind of uh, submit to the hierarchy and to the structure. To whom? To whom? The big man, right? Or, or woman, as, as it were, right? Whatever it might be. And, and the picture there is, is you um, are going to submit to me, I'm greater, right? And I have all the authority. And somehow we think that's going to lead to a bunch of money and profit. But we just heard all these stories of the toxicity, of the employee turnover, of the divisiveness, of the com- competitive nature versus the collaborative nature. And actually, we just know this doesn't work in business either, does it? And we all bring our stories, and we all are a part of the story too, aren't we? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. I watch that video and I go, ooh, I hope that's not me, you know, as a leader. And, and, and then there are other moments that are just a little too close to me. I go, ooh, I th- actually, I think that's me. Particularly that kind of self-absorption thing, that kind of me-first mentality. I just got that. I think that's one of the things the Lord is really trying to work on me personally. Is trying to root out some of that that me-first orientation in in my leadership. And I wonder for all of us, if we were just to say, "Oh God, what do you want to do in my workplace with whatever job you have called me to do? What do you want to root out in me to release me?" To, to a greater flourishing in my relationships, in my productivity at work. And we have a, we have a passage today that is so choice and will be so challenging for I think exactly where so many of us live, breathe, and spend, like James said, a third of our lives in called our, our work, our day-to-day jobs. Uh, I want to look at it. It's from Ephesians chapter 6. We're um, in this long Bible crawl through the book of Ephesians from the New Testament. And uh, here the Apostle Paul, under the big umbrella like we've been talking about of um, submitting to one another, he gets into this like, what does it look like to submit within a household structure? And he says this, employees, obey your boss with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. I want to stop right there because... Specifically in the text, it doesn't say employees, obey your boss. It says this, I'll show it to you. It says slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And so next week, we are going to address the question of biblical slavery. How does it compare to American slavery and the like? Does the Bible condone slavery? What does God think about all those things? Too big of a topic to kind of squeeze into here and now, so we're going to actually put that 
on to next week to really look at that in focus together. So I really want to invite you back to that. But here's how many translators, and here's how uh, we can apply that to where you and I are today, back in the time of Paul's writing. Um, it, within the household. Households weren't just families that ate together, you know, and slept under the same roof. They actually, more often than not, were little enterprises. They were their own little businesses that, um, and it was called an oikos. And so whether it was artisans or merchants or craftsmen or whatever they were, like to go to, to work, that, that, just did, that wasn't even really in their mindset. It wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that people left their homes to go do their jobs and left their family to go do their jobs. Actually, as a family, you had your own business and enterprise. That makes sense? Make sense? Yeah? Okay. And so there was this thing, still horrific, but very different, was slavery back in that day. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, somebody would become a slave when they uh, became in debt and they couldn't get out of that debt. And back then, there was no recourse, no Chapter 13 that you could file, no bankruptcy that you could file. But what you could do is you could submit yourself to an oikos, to a household of somebody, and work your way out of debt as a slave slave to them and oftentimes work your way back out of freedom. Very different. Maybe the best kind of way to frame it is an indentured servant is what you would become. And so maybe one, one way to kind of get your mind around it, it's not apples to apples, but, but maybe it's Downton Abbey to think about there's the upstairs and then there's the downstairs, right, without the British accents and uh, the manors and the estates and all of that. But really to understand what Paul's going at here, we have to distinguish between American slavery and, and, and what's going on in his context and time. Again, we'll do that next week. But it's really the closest thing that we can apply for our own selves when we get up tomorrow morning and many of us, we go to work. Interestingly, by the way, uh, there is a return back to little oikoses being both family and enterprise. In 2006, I think the number of people that worked a, a, out of their home was like 7%, and now it's upwards of 35%. And so moving back a little bit to the days of uh, the Apostle Paul. So that's rather interesting. So let's go back and let's read this passage. And I just want you to like... Whether you're an employee or a boss or both, we're going to look at both together. We're going to start with employees because that's where Paul starts. He says, employees, if you even want to put your first name in there, it might help. Obey your boss with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. And let's, let's hold on just, just for a second and we'll just read it all the way through if we can here before we start highlighting. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as employees of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Goes on to say this. Slaves, uh, let's, let's go if we have another slide where it stays in the boss category. Uh, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are employee or boss. All right. Uh, Paul's doing something pretty radical here and something very, very challenging for you and me in our culture today and in that culture. He is challenging a conditional relationship of how we approach work today. 
And to, to get there, we're going to do a little bit of different love math. By the way, the series called Love Math is where we're looking at the scriptures, deep part of God, and seeking how we might flourish in all of our relationships because God at his core is relationship. And we're using not good math, it's funky math. We call it love math. And, uh, and we're going to use some logic. Any logicians in the room? I hope not. I hope not. Anybody remember a logics class from back in the day? Anyone like it? Yeah, I didn't either. So I'm not a logician, but I did sleep in a Holiday Inn Express last night. So let's just see how this goes. Okay. In our workplace, here's how we approach our jobs. It is if A, then B. What's A? A is if the pay is right. If the boss promotes me uh, quickly, rapidly, if I get acknowledgments, if the benefits package is right, if the culture is right, if, 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 then I will give all of my loyalty, my passion, I'll work really hard for you. Yeah? Isn't that kind of how we think about it? That's how I think about it, right? And, 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 and so we go, but, but, look at this little tilde, if not A, then not B, right? So if you don't, if you don't pay right, if you, if, if you don't treat me right, if you don't acknowledge me right, if the conditions aren't right, if the coffee's not good in the break room, and whatever our little stipulations are, then we go, no, if not this, then you don't get my best. Then you don't get my loyalty. Then you don't get my passion, right? Just hitting home for anybody? And then look how this works. This is called the contrapositive. And it goes like this. Well, the boss might say to you, if not B, if not A, no job for you, right? You're gone. Everything's based on a conditional statement. What is Paul challenging here? Look at the words. That, nowhere does he say, if all the conditions meet your requirements. Nowhere does he say, if all the things line up for you to work hard. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Let's just highlight a few things. He transcends it all. He says, you're going to work just as you would obey Christ. And you're going to work hard and with, with passion uh, as employees of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. It goes a little further. And let's just look at this. You're going to do this as if you were serving the Lord. And you're going to do this because your rewards come from a different place. Do you see what he's doing here? He's just blowing out all the conditions. What he's offering us through a logician's mind would be simply this. Look, Jesus is Lord, therefore, huh? Anybody digging that? I am, right? Therefore, work. Work is a holy thing. That's a whole other topic about how we are commissioned as human beings by God to work and to steward all that he's called us to put the, our hands to the plow on. But because he's Lord, that's what Paul's saying. He's changing the if, and he's basically moving it to a therefore. There, no longer do we live from this place of, well, if this, if that, if that. No, 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 because Jesus is Lord, and really he's our boss. We're going to approach our marketplace, we're going to approach our job radically differently. Now, that doesn't mean that if there's some sort of harassment going on in the marketplace. It doesn't mean that you can't practice boundaries. It doesn't mean that you can't have your own conviction of ethics. It doesn't mean that you just become trampled upon. It doesn't mean that leaving your job is a bad thing. Of course not. But how many of us get so stuck in our own stipulations, our own if conditions? And I wonder, I just wonder 
How many of us need to be challenged with this question? Can your loyalty, devotion, and work ethic be anchored in your relationship to Jesus and not the conditions of your job? What would change tomorrow morning? What would change for you? Well, I venture to say for all of us, we'd be set free from a quid pro quo, tit for tat kind of scenario. We'd be free from our own jealousy, our own infighting, our own comparison, our own feeling threatened, all those different things. We'd be freed from those places, and we would work from a place of joy. Joy transcends circumstances. It transcends conditions. It moves us to a place of permanence. Is that a journey? Yes. Can it happen tomorrow morning? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. But I also believe it's a journey where we just go, God, I want to serve you as my boss. I want to be faithful to you no matter what. And I'm going to trust you in that place. And that, if that means getting the promotion that I'm hoping for, cool. If that means you open a door somewhere else, cool. If that means I'm just supposed to put my hand to this plow and serve you and serve whomever you put in authority over me wholeheartedly, I will do so because you're my boss. And then he has a message for the bosses, which is itself very radical. Again, we're looking at this picture of mutual submission, and, and Paul is just doing this crazy thing. He's talking, to, uh, he's talking to the power bases that be, all the different power bases of uh, men and women and fathers and kids and parents and children. He's doing all these things, but he's calling us to live out of this equation of submitting to one another. It doesn't mean that there's still not hierarchy, but it is radical that in this context, as with others, he even has words for bosses. Because there was no, like, workers' comp back then. There was no, you know, uh, various organizations that made sure that there were worker, worker rights and activists. There weren't those things. But Paul's being an activist right here when he says this. And bosses, treat your employees in the same way. In the same way. Like, just lock that one in here for a second. In the same way. What, what, what is he talking about? We have to actually go back and see what he was saying to employees because now Paul is inverting this. He's like flipping this, okay? So let, let's just go back to what we just read and let's just highlight the same thing. So if bosses are to do the same thing as employees were just called to do, well, it means we're supposed to respect and fear. We're supposed to honor the dignity of, of human beings. We're supposed to do this with the sincerity of heart. There should be an authenticity to what we do. We're, we're to win the favor of our employees, not through charm, but through doing the will of God from our heart. We're to serve our employees wholeheartedly. I mean, this radical, Paul just puts it on the same playing field. Does it mean that someone's not the boss or high? No, it, it, of course it can mean those things. But he's calling us, for those of us in leadership, to run it right back through the rubric. And then he says this. This is also really radical. He says, do not threaten them. Bosses, don't threaten your employees. Now, hopefully that's not happening if you're a boss or leadership. But we can feel threatened, can't we? And when we feel threatened, that's when we make threats. It's just all about insecurity. It's all about not having a secure sense of your identity, of who you are. Right? This is the bully phenomenon, isn't it? The more fearful you are, the more you have been bullied in the past, 
in order to try to maintain some measure of control, you'll take it out on others. This is just common human psychology. Do not threaten them. That's really about power. It's really about power. There's, a, there's an understanding of power that the world operates from, and it's that if power is a sum of power, it's a fixed sum. It's like, it's like a pie, and there's only so much power to go around. And so we as human beings, we try to get as bloated and big as we possibly can to get our share of the power so we can have the most control, we can have the most uh, benefits, we can have everything that, that we want for ourselves. The goal is how much power can I get, obtain, acquire, or acquisition in order to keep for me? The thinking being there's only so much to get around, to go around, and so I'm going to get all that I can get. Well, there's a different way to think about it, and Jesus talks about this when he talks about leadership. He says, there's, there's the bosses who lord it over you, and I'm telling you don't be like that. I'm going to tell you to go serve others and give yourself away. That's the message of Jesus. That's the method of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. And what happened for him and his power? It expanded, didn't it? That there's a different way to view power. It's called the expandable uh, power pie chart, basically, which says the more I give away power, actually, the more influence, the more affection, the more connection, the more empowerment, and even from a business perspective, the more the bottom line grows. When you have a leader, Jim Collins would call him or her a level five leader who's willing to give their power away, to invest it in other people, in their gifts and their talents and their time. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's just, he's subverting this power grid. And he's saying, here's what we do with our power. We look to give it away to others. When he says, do not threaten them, he continues by going on to say this. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He's transcending it again. He's moving this beyond. He's going, look, bosses, you're not the boss. And really, you're not the ultimate leader. And really, this isn't your company. And really, this isn't your position. And really, this isn't your influence. Because it's the Lord's. God cares more about your company. He cares more about your job. He cares more about you. And he cares more about your employees than you possibly could. He's like the boss that reigns supreme. And so you don't need to threaten. You don't need to undermine. You don't need to look over your shoulder. Why? Because God's, God's your boss. And he loves you. And he's for you as he is for those that you serve in leadership. And then he says this thing. This is the last thing. And there is no favoritism with him. That there is no favoritism in God. Now, leaders, let me just ask this for a second. If you are a leader and you're a boss, think about this for a second. Think about your leadership. Think about the people you interact with on a daily basis. I'm going to frame it this way because this is very true for me. This has been really challenging for me. Is it not true that we operate with a sense of favoritism? Privilege. Entitlements. That we've worked our way to a certain point. We've put in our time. We've built up the company. We did whatever else. So therefore, I can think differently, treat differently, respond differently to 
the person on the janitorial crew to the person that does this, that, or the other. What would change for you and for me if we took the viewpoint of God in whom there's no favoritism? It's what Paul did with Jews and Gentiles. Peter said it when he was blown away by the fact that Gentiles were coming to the Lord. They, they thought it was just a Jewish thing. Like, no, no, no. In God, there is no partiality. There is no favoritism. He loves all, is for all, sees the dignity of all. All have been made in the image of God. What if we approach those that were called to lead through that lens? And so, bosses, for, for us, here's our question today. Do you live, work, and lead as if there's no favoritism by God between you and your employees? And the answer is, for, for many of us, we are. The truth about us as leaders and employees is we're great employees except for we're not. We're great leaders except for we're not. We're broken, right? There's beautiful things to you and me. There's broken things to you and me. But I want you to hear now from those that we interviewed um, and you saw in the first video kind of talking about where it goes wrong. I want us to hear now by us submitting to Jesus, our leadership to Jesus, how it can look really right. Let's check it out. Submitted leadership is countercultural. Always used to think the word submitted as a little bit of a, not a negative, but almost like a connotation, like you don't want to submit to anybody. But um, when you pair that word with leadership, I just find them very, very complimentary. When I was in the marketplace before I retired, you know, to me it was about surrounding myself with good people, giving them the responsibility and allowing them to lead. I submit every day. I try to submit to God every day and I pray, Holy Spirit, help me in everyday situation, even if I have to write an email or, or if I have to implement something in the company, I ask him and he, he does come true for me. Submitted leadership um, to me is really that humility factor. Um, there was a uh, speaker years ago that talked about, do you want a title or do you want a testimony? And I love that, that analogy because I see so many people with these great titles. In fact, my first business card out of school had a, a title that was longer than the card. And the testimony wasn't there to match it, you know. Submitted leadership upward sometimes means doing things that you may not necessarily agree with. And as a leader, that's, that's, that's happened many times where I have been passionate and clear and continued in articulating why something may not be what we should do. But then once the decision is made, the decision is made. And so submitted leadership in that situation means not undermining the decision and not undermining the decision makers and not being the one who goes and tells the team, well, this is what we're going to do. I try to build relationships um, with my people. And so what I try to do is get to know these people, figure out um, you know, who they are, what they do, what their goals are, um, where their gaps are, and where they need learning and development. Um, and primarily, like my number one goal is to be available. But I think the challenge came when I no longer wanted to be in the profession that I was in, so I was unhappy and I was stressed out and I just wanted to just be done. But I was challenged to still be excellent and still work excellently. I'm always learning, whether that's uh, conferences I go to, I'm always reading some sort of a business book that can help me either with my business acumen or even emotional intelligence, but just always trying to learn and improve myself. 
because that's going to therefore then help my teammates at work. As we've been teaching leadership within our group, um, one of my favorite stories you know, a few years back was on Boss's Day. I got a Boss's card, you know, open it up, and they had marked out the word boss and they had written leader. And I thought, boy, you know, we're, we're, we're hitting something there. We're, we're starting to change the culture. Um, and so it's, it's really teaching people that leadership isn't about titles. Sometimes submitted leadership has boundaries. If the leader that you are serving and, and leading under is asking you to do things that are out of integrity or out of alignment with what God demands of us or asks of us, those are the limits, and those are my lines that I that I that I live by. Some of the best examples of those that do the behind-the-scenes work uh, before employees get to work. Um, you know, maybe they're preparing uh, the office, the, the warehouse, whatever. The and, and it just makes the the team members' day just go a lot smoother. Um, it's picking up the trash. It's cleaning the bathroom. So now that I'm retired, uh, to me, submitted leadership is working with other leaders, uh, doing a lot of the tasks that, you know, they're more administrative in nature, but they have to be done. Uh, let them lead. Give them the time and the resource to lead. It's the kind of leadership that asks what's best for the group. It's the kind of leadership that asks what's good for the people that you lead, not just what's good for yourself. It's the kind of leadership that seeks to equip and empower others to succeed and to serve and to lead. It's also a leadership that does two things. It, 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 it submits primarily to God, first and foremost to God, not primarily, first and foremost to God, to Christ, and allowing that to shape how we then submit to authority that has been placed above us, whether it's in church, in our homes, or in the workplace. Our strong leadership begins with strong followership. There's some good stuff there, isn't there? And some deep insights. Uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll take uh, both those videos and we'll put them out kind of separately if you want to just chew on those uh, differently. But I want to wrap up or, or in a deeper way. I want to wrap up with just one last little question that Corey Carew actually uh, threw out to me that I hadn't thought much about. And by the way, let me just say how sad I am to share that Corey and her husband Gary and their two daughters Riley and Samara are moving to Chicago. They um, both got jobs there and God has been leading them and, and we're going to be sending them and we're super sad to say that. Um, Corey has just been an amazing member of our prayer team, our communicator team, our diversity guidance team, and they as a family have just been absolutely awesome. So if you want to come back to the 11 o'clock after 11, we're going to pray for them. That's when they'll be here and we'll do that after the service. Um, but here, here's the question she asked. She said, is submitted leadership the same as servant leadership? Is it the same? And I thought about that. Uh, and, and I bought myself some time because I just, she sent it to me over a text and I texted back. I said, hmm, I don't know. What do you think? It's very, uh, <laughs> very Aristotle like me. Bought me some time to think about it. And she really spoke to it with that phrase um, great leadership leads, comes from great followership. And so what I want to just close with is this picture. Again, Paul is calling us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what I want to offer to you is that they are not the same, but that there is a sequence of submission 
leads to servant leadership. And really, you cannot do one without the other. How do we become a people who have a serving orientation? It has to come from a different place. And that different place, we've been dealing with a little geometry, haven't we, with this triangle of there's, there's me, and in this context, there's a boss, and we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can you see that? I'm writing small. Is that, can you see my little guys there? All with no eyes, noses, ears, or hair, right? And this is, this is the picture of how it looks. And what Paul is really saying, he's saying even in a hierarchy like a, a marketplace, a job, there still is this submission one to another. There still is this, I'm going to serve, I'm going to yield. It doesn't mean that you don't call the shots when you have to call the shots. It doesn't mean that you don't lead when leadership is required. But there's a different texture. It means you serve wholeheartedly and with sincerity of heart. It means that God is your boss. It means all those things. But there's one more thing that I want to leave you with, particularly if you're in leadership. We are called to submit to Christ, and that is clear. And as we do that, our jobs would change and change radically, but we're also to submit to others above us. Even if you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, it really looks like this. You're gonna serve and submit to someone larger than you who is submitting to Christ. And that person is actually submitting to someone larger than them, right? You see the scale going on here? And that doesn't need to be like somebody who's, uh, you know, a boss over you in the, in the organization. It just needs to mean this, that you are submitting and offering and yielding through relationship yourself to someone else who can speak into your blind spots, who can speak into your shortcomings, who can call out your very best. And so whether you're at the very top of the top or whether you're in middle management, I would just ask you this question, is who are you submitting yourself to and under their authority? That could be a board, but a board is only as good as a board can function well and in a healthy dynamic. That could be another person outside the organization, but you've invited someone in and you've said, speak into my blind spots. Call me to the higher way of following Jesus as Lord. Draw out my very best. And it doesn't mean it's just like this, like this. It means encourage me, call me, challenge me. And, and who is that for you, no matter where you sit in leadership? For me, uh, that's Tom Bronner. He's an associate pastor of mine, but I submit to him as my spiritual director. For me, organizationally, that's our advisors. And so that's kind of like my uh, volunteer board that serve and pour into me, hold me accountable on certain things. To me, that's moving and submitted leadership with Jay Cole and Craig Cheney. And I'm learning that process. I'm learning how to do it. And it's not easy. But as we get this right, you guys, historically, you know what was a central factor in Rome in the early days of of the early church, literally becoming called a Christian state, it was people in the marketplace. It was marketplace leaders. Actually, when oikoses, when little households would move and cross continents to take their family and their business other places, that's how the gospel spread. 
People who study uh, civilization and mission going together, they call this, they have this phrase called redemption and lift, which means when people in uh, different areas that didn't know Jesus begin to know Jesus and they begin to get transformed from the inside out, there is redemption in them and there is a lift about them and around them all the way to the thriving of the society's economy. It's called redemption and lift, that when we get this right, Things change. I mean, I just had this thought mowing the lawn yesterday, and here's my final thought and challenge, which is, which is this. How cool would it be if those who didn't know Jesus knew that those who know Jesus are awesome workers, awesome leaders, that, that literally people would be so like drawn to how Jesus' followers serve and lead and work in the marketplace that they said, well, where's our best recruiting pool anywhere? Where should we go? And they go, let's go to the church. Let's set up a, a, a job fair in the atrium. Because whether the conditions are this, that, or the other, the Jesus followers work their best. They, they work the hardest. They are loyal. They are devoted. There's something mysterious about them by the way they give themselves to the task at hand. It's actually what changed the world. It's what changes civilization, and it can change your marketplace too can change the way I lead as well because I leave you with this, that whether you're in leadership or you're not, we are called to submit one to another. And yes, it will actually raise the bottom line, but it will lead to the unicorn of so much more in relationship. In the name of Jesus, go today in peace, amen. We'd love to have you pray with us. Come on down and join us. Thanks, you guys.